All right. Thank you for being here tonight. Test, is that on not on? Testing, it's on. Oh, okay, there we go. All right, we're in the book of Colossians. I, I feel like it's been two years since I met with you all on Wednesday night, uh, but it hadn't been quite that long. But I appreciate Brother Case, appreciate Brother Allen filling in and everything and, and uh, different ones. And uh, I know that uh, you've had some great services and praise the Lord for that. Thank you for letting me have the freedom to, to go and, and just try to be a help to some of these other churches. We have four, four churches that were just literally totally just wiped out, had to be gutted and, and just completely done. Two of those are in excellent shape. They've, the, one of them is completely finished. The other one is almost uh, finished. And then uh, the third one uh, is, is almost finished too. It's on its way. The fourth one is, uh, is still a major problem. And you pray for some teams that can hang some sheetrock and put things up. It's, it's, a, it's just a, it's a mess. It's a mess. And we praise God for the help that's been able to come and do. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to back up just a little bit because I, I want to, when we're going through Colossians, I want to kind of double up and hit some on Wednesday night and what I don't get a chance to hit on Sunday morning because uh, time is always limited. Verse 12 of chapter 1 says this, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin. The God we serve is a God who acts. There's a lot of people love to do a lot of talking today. But I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. His talking turns into action. And I, I'm not saying that that there are not times when we shouldn't uh, stop and, and wait and be sure uh, of what we're doing. I, I know I learned that lesson so well about three years ago in Kenya uh, because uh, you, you sent me over there with money and, and we could do all kinds of things. And, man, we would have 150 people, 200 people saved that day. And I'd say, Brother Samson, let's, let's, let's build a church. He said, we're going to build a church. We're going to build a church. I said, well, I've got money in my pocket. Let's go buy land right now. Let's get the land bought. Let's get it done. He said, no, 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 we wait, we wait. We wait and we pray. I don't like to wait. I like to move on. And, uh, but by the time we finished that two weeks there, nine of those ten churches that we had started had land donated to them and ready to go on with God. Sometimes we supersede what God wants to do because we get in our own flesh and want to move faster. But God is a God who acts. He's revealed by his deeds. And Paul is describing in these verses here what God has done. These are the saving acts of God. Sometimes I think maybe we've, we've either forgotten or we've never realized what it, the finished work of Christ is really all about. I mean, I want to tell you something. God didn't call us to come out here and just lay in a ditch and wallow in the mud. Uh, a, a prior transaction has taken place. A prior event has transpired. And by that, God has accomplished us our salvation. Uh, now, salvation 
is like a man-sided jewel. It's all one stone, yet it gives it has many sides and reflects different shades of light. The description that Paul gives here of what God has done is kind of like the many different sides of that stone, the different sides of salvation here. Uh, you got to be stay with me on this now, and I know you are, but salvation is not achieved. Salvation is received. It's not achieved. You work all you want to. You're never going to work enough to go to heaven. You're not going to achieve it. It is received. It is received. So let's look at what God's done. First of all, the Bible says God has qualified us. Every portion of that statement is significant. He said he's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Uh, he's made us sufficient to the sharing of the portion of the saints in light is another, trans, uh, 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 another translation there. In other words, we're qualified to share with the saints that are in the light. Now, how do we, do, how do we get qualified? Well, there's a future aspect of this qualification, the future glory of heaven. I mean, the, 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 the best for the child of God has not happened yet. It's still out there waiting on us. That's the future glory of God. He was promised in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ. We're going to dwell with him, and that's our portion. Now, how in the world do we get a portion like that? Well, the Bible says he's qualified us. He's made us competent. We were inherently unworthy. We were sinful. We were unfit. We were unqualified. Uh, I, I remember the first time that uh, we were ever going to buy a house. I just moved into a new area, hadn't been there three months. And they said, you don't qualify because uh, you've not lived here long enough. So you got to get somebody to sign for you. My daddy signed for me. And because he signed for me, that meant he qualified me. Well, I want to tell you something. You don't deserve heaven. You don't deserve eternal life with Jesus. But bless God, Jesus qualified you. Jesus signed for you. And he stuck his neck out for you and me. And we're redeemed because of what he has done for us. So it's, it's a, he says, I'll qualify you. And then the present aspect, God has given us an allotment or a portion, the lot of the saints in this life, bearing fruit, increasing. God's people have a, a lot in this life, ordained of God. And we're to share the part that has been assigned to us. Now, every, the phrase here suggests that thought that every individual has a particular place in this calling. I want to tell you something, folks. There's no elite in the kingdom of God. When you find uh, uh, these, some of these, quote, uh, groups that think they're a little bit higher, uh, they ain't been with Jesus. And I tell you, when you get with Jesus, you'll know just who you are. And I don't care how spiritual you are, upside the Lord Jesus Christ, you fall way short. And so there's no elite. I'm going to tell you, just because I'm a pastor, that don't mean I'm in the elite. There's no elite for pastors. We're all in this thing together. We're all saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. No other way to get there. So there's not different levels there. There's no privileged classes, one more or less than the other. God has made us fit. He's qualified us to share this lot of the saints. 
And he's made us worthy of the high destiny in which he calls us. And he calls us to be co-laborers with Christ. And that's a good sign for me to kind of put in a plug here. Sunday, we're doing ministry service. We're celebrating ministry and service in this church. And I, I don't have the list here with me today, but uh, we're, we're going to have a team in Arabella, uh, independent living, Arabella uh, assisted living, at Treviso, at Eden Place, at uh, Page Place 2, at Summer Meadows, uh, at uh, there's a Hawkins Creek. There's about eight of them. And we're all going to do that at 3 o'clock. You say, well, you know, that's just not my cup of tea. Well, I'm going to ask you to get off your blessed assurance and get it to be your cup of tea that day. I'm just telling you right now, some of you have said and done nothing for the kingdom of God, and we need to go out, we need to show this world that, that we love them, and the way to do that is by serving them. Let me tell you, if you're a child of God and you've never been involved in any service, you don't really know the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord comes when we're given away. When we're giving ourselves out. And we're just doing simple things. We're going to make some tea cakes and some punch. And we're going to sing a little bit. And, and we're just going to have a quick devotion. And we're just going to fellowship with people and encourage people. And just try to lift them up. And then that's it. Then we're going to leave. That's it. No, nobody's going to ask you to get up and preach and give you personal testimony. I mean, you can if you want to. But nobody's going to ask you to do that. We're just doing some simple ministry. God has called us to be ministers, every one of us. He not only qualified us, but according to the word of God, he has delivered us. He said, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness? See, that's our former state. We were in darkness. The New Testament, uh, throughout the New Testament, darkness is conceived as a definite power. It's horrible. It's monstrous. It holds men in its authority, and they're powerless to escape. But this phrase refers to the rule of Satan over the unsaved. Before we were delivered, Satan had your number. Satan rattled my chains. Satan had everything about me. We were living in darkness. But I want to tell you, that's not only a condition of being without God, but it's also a condition of being against God. See, the lost people, not only are they without God, but they're coming against God. And so he has delivered us, our rescue. Who delivered us? The word means to pluck out of danger, to rescue from destruction. To rescue requires a power that's greater than the power of the rescuer. When we were on the train last week, I don't know if I've told you this or not, but we were coming into Portland, Oregon, and and uh, I had not been able to sleep. I, I, the train was wonderful. I loved it, except when it got time to go to bed that night. And I actually took a nap in the afternoon in the upper berth, and it was no problem. You know, the light was shining, everything fine. But when I got in that thing, and they turned out all in lights, and I went to turn over, and there wasn't room for me to turn over. All I saw was that wall and that ceiling right there. And I knew that Becky had strapped those two straps in, and I was tied into that thing. And I said, babe, you better untie this. I'm thinking to tear this place up. <laughs> and I got out. I said, I got, I got to get out of here. She said, well, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going down to that observation car, take my pillow, 
lean up against the window, and I'm going to get a good night's sleep. Don't worry about me. I'll sleep good. And I was sleeping good. All of a sudden, that morning, uh, man, the train just threw on his brakes. And I looked kind of out the window, and I saw this lady. She looked like she's 75, 80 years old, but she was a homeless lady. And uh, uh, she was on the, the track, and the track, the train was coming around a curve, and it was a bridge. And so she didn't have anywhere to go. She bailed off that bridge, dove into that creek. And the train tore her clothes and all that all to pieces. I mean, the, you could see the clothes flying, the black bags and everything, and smell them. Well, I jumped up to try to run downstairs because it stopped just right there. And uh, the cook, the chef, had already gone out there and drug her out of the creek. Now, he rescued her. He rescued her. And, folks, that's what Jesus has done for us. I mean, we didn't have a chance. We were in worse than a creek. We were in the muck of sin and, and full of chains. And Jesus reached down and picked us up and put us on a solid ground. Only he could do that. Only he could do it. So literally God has, has qualified us and he's delivered us. And, and I want to tell you, uh, men don't ever underestimate what the devil is trying to do. He's not going to give up. I don't know if you've read much of the book or not, but I can tell you right now, you can't discourage the devil. That dude will come at you. You can slap him down. You can knock him down, knock the breath out of him. You can de destroy him, whatever, and you wake up the next morning. That dude's got a new lease on life. He's coming at you again. And he's going to, especially in these last days, there's some things that are going to happen in these last days. One of the things that's going to happen is churches that are going to stand on the Word of God, people who love God are going to flock to those churches. Because I want to tell you, times are going to get hard. You think they're hard now, they're going to get hard. They're going to flock to those churches. And, uh, uh, but the devil is going to attack those churches more than anything else to try to destroy them. So he's qualified us, he's delivered us, and then thirdly, the Bible says... God has translated us. He translated us. He's delivered us from a rebel kingdom and brought us under the sovereignty of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word uh, means to transfer or transport or to move from one place to another or from one country to the other. And in the ancient world, when the, uh, one empire conquered another, it was a, a token that they would take the entire civilization and transfer them over. It's like the Jews went to Babylon. That was a typical thing. You took the entire population and transferred them over to another place. Here, God has delivered his people from the darkness of the tyranny there over and brought them into the kingdom of heaven. So we've been translated here. That's the present condition of Christians. Now, we need to understand something. He is not going to translate us from darkness to light. He has already translated us from darkness to light. It's not going to be, well, one day, one day, boy, when the Lord translates me, you know, I'm going to be able to. No, 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 no. He's already translated us. It's implied here that we've already won our freedom. We've been removed from a world which is subject to evil forces 
uh, into one which has Christ as king, and now we submit our, our authority to him and not to this world. According to the false teachers at Colossae, it was necessary to uh, conciliate the angel, angelic powers who rule over the world. We had to win them to our side. That's the farthest thing from the truth. Uh, that's just not true. Christ is above all the angels. He's above all the creation. He's conquered all other powers. And since we belong to him, we're free. Now, Paul's meaning here when he translates his ideas out of the terms of ancient mythology into modern thinking. He's saying here, we speak now not of angelic powers throned in the planets, but of a world of mechanical law in the clutches of those who are helpless. Our lives, I mean, let's just be honest with it, okay? The truth is that our lives are determined for us by our heredity, by our environment, by our social and natural economic forces. And you know what? About the best we can do is adjust to them. You say, now, I don't understand that. Well, why did you get born in America and not Kenya? And see, and Brother Allen can tell you the same thing. You can go to Mexico, you go to Serbia, I don't care where you go. When you find people who love Jesus Christ, there's a joy in their heart. They may not have a dime. They may not have nothing. They're, they're wearing tattered clothes, no socks, shoes that don't even match, and yet they just praising the Lord. They're just excited. They, they've learned. Now, they're, uh, they're hindered by their social uh, economic and their social environment that they live in, but they've learned to adapt to it. They don't, you go to Kenya, they don't need these high-priced toys and everything. They'll take an old tire and roll that thing around there all day long. All day long. They're adapted to it. And that's what he's telling us. We, we need to learn that in Christ, we're made free. We need to adapt to that. We need, we've been rescued from the power of the blind forces that's been in work in human history for years, and we've been admitted to the kingdom of God. And therefore, we can fulfill our lives according to the kingdom of God. Mm. And then, honestly here, the reign of Christ has already begun. Wherever Christ is, he rules. <laughs> we just need to make that as a part of our life. You say, well, no, we, we still, yeah, we're battered by a lot of things, but I'm going to tell you, God's still on his throne. He's still on his throne. God can make a way when there seems to be no way. I mean, you just ask Abraham. God said, you take your only son, Isaac, you take him up on top of the mountain, and you slay him. You kill him. What Abraham do? He did just what God told him to do. And the knife was up to his throat, ready to slit his throat. And God sent the angel and said, hold off. There's a lamb over there. You see, the same time that, that Abraham and Isaac were walking up the side of that mountain, on the other side of that mountain, God had a lamb walking up the side of that one. And when they got to the top, there was the lamb. 
God's got this thing under control. He's sovereign. We've got to believe that. So God has qualified us. God has delivered us. God has translated us. <laughs> and it doesn't do anything to get better. God has redeemed us. It's what verse 14, <laughs> the imagery of a captive enslaved people is still continuing. He said, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the meaning of redemption, it means we're released by the payment of a ransom. We have represents the fact that the, the rescue was in the past. What is the rescue he's talking about? He's talking about the cross. We, 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 the cross is in the past. Let me tell you, there's not going to be another cross. That cross deal's over with. There's not going to be another tomb. That tomb's over with. It's all gone with. Next time he comes back, he's going to reign in glory. It's already been, we've already been redeemed because of what's happened in the past. And then the median uh, of redemption, in whom? There's only one. That's in Christ. I was at a meeting last night in, in, uh, in uh, Grapevine, and uh, some of these younger pastors, uh, they're, they're coming out, and of course we're sitting there, and there's about 25 of us, and they said, well, you know, uh, and it was talked about Woodland Hills, and several had been here. And they said, well, where did you go to seminary? How did you get your training? I said, I didn't go to seminary. Didn't go. When I grew up in the 70s, the seminaries were filled with liberal professors. And I want to tell you, I don't need anybody to tell me the Word of God's not true. I'm, I discovered for a long time ago, the Word of God's true. If, if you, you say, preacher, you believe all of that stuff? I believe every bit of it. I don't have any problem believing that the that the Red Sea opened up and they went through on dry ground. I have no problem believing that. I have, you say, well, there's got to be one miracle that you just can't believe. Well, if there was one miracle in there that I could not believe, it would be the miracle that a holy God would leave heaven and come to earth as a human being or somebody like me. Now, you want to tell me something that I can't, I have a hard time believing? I have a hard time believing that. I had no problem believing he fed 5,000 plus women and children. No problem. But boy, when you start talking about that God left heaven and became man to die on a cross for you and me, I, huh, I, I kind of think, you know, that's just one of the miracles. But the only way we've got redemption is through Jesus Christ. He's the ransom. And then the manner of it, it says it right here in verse 14. Through his blood. In other words, it cost him something. Salvation is a free gift, but our Lord paid dearly for it. He, he paid his life for it. And then the measure of redemption, it's there too. What is the measure of it? It's the forgiveness of sins. See, the sins, what keeps man chained up in darkness. But when we come to Jesus Christ, we've been ransomed by him, and we've forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Forgiven. The, the, literally in the Greek, it says to send away or to put away. They're put away. That implies that an absolute end has been made in him with all of our sins. Absolutely. 
every Christian, the security we have is wrapped up in Jesus. Every one of us. <laughs> I tell you, I thought about uh, what old Manly Beasley said one time about losing his salvation. He said, you know, I don't think I'll ever lose my salvation. But if I did lose it, it would be sitting in traffic in a city. That's when I'd lose it. Uh, and I don't think I'm going to lose mine either because it's wrapped up in Jesus. In order for you to lose your salvation, the devil would have to pry the hands of Jesus off of me or you. Pry that out and then drag us out of his hands because we're sealed to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. Just We, we close, but I'm trying to think of an illustration that might got to go here. It's kind of like this. You're in IHOP or maybe Waffle House or wherever you like to go. I like any of those, really. Cracker Barrel. I all have good pancakes, eggs and bacon. And you're sitting there in the coffee shop, and you're one table over, and you just kind of eavesdrop. I know none of y'all have ever done that. But you just kind of listen in to what's going over there at that table. And you can hear the conversation. And uh, you, you, you may have your laptop open so they won't know that you're listening. Or you may be fooling with your phone so they can't, you know, see that you're really listening. But there, there's a couple there, and they're in love. I mean, you can tell they're in love. They're I mean, when you see a couple in love, man, their eyes just, they, they're beaded out. I mean, you can tell when a couple's in love or not, amen? And so they're there, and they're just staring and looking at each other in their eyes, and that longing and sigh, and you can just feel the passion just flowing up all around them there. And finally, she looks at him, and she says, I want to know you. <laughs> and there's a little giggle, a little grim face. And you're thinking, yeah, I know what she means. But he looks back at her, and he says, well, great. I'll send you a book. I wrote it myself, and you can read it, and you can know me. Hmm. She says, no, I, I, I want to be close. He says, I know that. And I'm going to send you to a seminar that's all about my life so you can feel closer to me in a two-day experience. And she reaches over and grabs his hand. She said, I want to be with you. And he said, well, that's nice. There's a course at my church that you can take and me and you can be in it together. Now, do you think that's what she wants? No. See, the, the Bible says, I'm not talking about increasing your knowledge. The Bible says knowledge puffeth up. We don't need, I mean, well, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't study. We do need to increase our knowledge. But that ought not to be the goal of our life. The goal of my life ought to be to get to know Jesus more than I've ever known him before. I don't care whether knowledge is there or not. But to be able to understand him and sense that you and him have a relationship. I want to tell you, that's how we're going to grow in faith and love. When we become so close to Jesus that we can't stand going a day without him. Not a day. Father, thank you tonight for speaking to our hearts. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've qualified us. Thank you that you've delivered us. Thank you that you've translated us. And thank you, dear Lord, 
that you have redeemed us. All of those things, no way in the world we could have done ourselves. But because of your mercy and your love, you came and did that for us. God, would the fact that you gave your life for us, Lord, would you help us just be willing to give a portion of our life back to you so that others may come to know you? God, help us not to get complacent. There's so many lost and hurting people around. And Lord, as we think about Sunday going to these retirement homes and, and apartments and, and nursing homes and all of this, Lord, there, there are people in those places that spent their entire life trying to build the kingdom of God. And Lord, many times they've just been put there and forgotten. Would you help us to be a church that can go over and just bring a little joy, bring a little laughter, bring a little encouragement to help them to know that they're not by themselves, but we love them. We love you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.